Microphone check. One, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. The rap music plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. This is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. Are you a rap music fan? Are you someone who loves the feeling of discovering new music, but find it hard to navigate through the thousands and thousands of new albums that get released every single day? If any of this applies to you, this show is exactly what you need in your life. My absolute passion is music. So I gladly do the dirty work of virtual crate digging, searching for the next great album so that you don't have to. I am into all kinds of music bringing you fresh album and song reviews and inspired commentary on all that the mainstream and underground rap scene have to offer. I live for this. Nothing makes me feel better than expressing my thoughts and feelings about music. But I've still got more on my mind than just music, so although the focus of the show is certainly rap, I will occasionally cover hot-button political issues from time to time. So that's enough compulsory podcast introduction Let's get to the show. What is up, family? It is November 28th, 2020, and I have a great, great show for you guys today. First, we will be covering Meg The Stallion's Good News album, where we will have the talk. And no, it's not the talk that you're thinking of, maybe, but it's related. We're going to talk about sexuality in music and I'll give you my preferences and my assessment on how sexuality was used on this album and what I think about it. And then next we'll go on to a very experimental project by Small Bills uh, created by Elucid and The Lasso as the producer and we'll be having a discussion about what makes experimental music good, what makes it work. And then finally we'll wrap by discussing the recent Grammy nominations that were released and discussing who I think should win, will win, and my overall thoughts on this whole Grammys thing. So let's start with Good News by Meg Thee Stallion. So Meg Thee Stallion is a southern rapper. Uh, She's a female, obviously, and she's been on an absolute high when it comes to her popularity recently. Uh, She has been coming off pretty successful project in in fever which uh, came out in 2019 in may which really solidified her brand as the charismatic very sexual very fun trap rapper southern hip-hop rapper and while she's been on a popularity high she's certainly been going through a lot personally she's been going through the ringer with some very difficult events happening to her over these past few years. Just last year, her mother and manager passed away. And to add on to that, she, like many young artists on their first record deal, got screwed over with her label deal and was revealed to be getting very little revenue uh, from her otherwise very successful career to date. And to top it off, 
the very highly publicized and incredibly odd story and situation involving the scary incident where Meg got allegedly, I have to say allegedly, uh, shot by Canadian fuck Tory Lanez, which happened earlier this summer. So to imagine what this might have meant for a still young woman who is just a month older than me at 25 years old, who had both her personal and professional life completely shaken to its core so tremendously, it must have been very hard to deal with, all while she was becoming more and more popular in the public eye. So I expected with good news to hear these events and emotions expanded upon and made a little more real, given new perspective or understanding. It's not like I was expecting though a low energy introspective album from an artist like Meg, whose usual brand of sexually charged bangers was something I expected to hear, but I did still expect something with a bit more depth and emotional complexity uh, on this new album Good News. So what did we get on Good News? What was the main lyrical focus? Well, what we got was a whole lot of sex talk and a whole lot of talk about the Tory Lane situation. But let's first address the sexual nature of this album. I'm not a prude. I have no problem if artists want to talk about sex in their music. But there is a more interesting and less interesting way to do this, and I feel Meg on Good News provided more of the latter. On Good News, sexuality is presented mainly for sexuality's sake, and that's basically it. Whereas in contrast with other contemporaries with boldly sexual lyrics like an FKA Twigs or a Tiana Taylor, they would get very directly sexual in their lyricism as well, but the subject matter would have an underlying purpose that was deeper. So for example, when FKA Twigs talks about having sex with the lights on on Lights On from 2014's LP1 project, she was speaking more about how she wanted to do it with the lights on because it would signify that she reached a greater level of trust and vulnerability with her partner. And when Tiana Taylor talks about wanting to have a threesome with her man on three-way off of 2018's criminally underrated KTSE album, Tiana is more speaking from the standpoint of her insatiable desire to satisfy her man to do anything to please him because she loves him. So this, to be clear, is my personal preference on what I value more in sexual lyrics in music. And I can still get behind more surface level sexual lyrics if the delivery is on point, if the charisma and the beats that surround these lyrics are absolutely fire, uh, or if the songs are just catchy and funny. But on good news, unfortunately, I don't think this sexuality is packaged in a way that's all that interesting at all. The way this album starts off is actually quite well with Shots Fired, which is rapping over this very, very prominent and very notable Biggie Small sample from the track Who Shot You, where he famously dissed the hell out of Tupac, which came out in 1995. Meg brings her best rapping performance on this album, and it was cool to hear her put this Tory Lane story on wax 
and just throw a lot of shots at him on this track. It worked well and it fit with the sample. I had no problem with the song overall. I thought it was pretty good and I thought her flow was really catchy. But this track highlighted the second consistent topic on this album, which was the whole Tory Lane situation. And I personally felt that Shots Fired was all we needed to hear on this subject. Because Meg has spoken at length about this whole situation on social media for the better part of the last few months. But instead, she devotes many other lines on many other tracks on this album to diss Tory Lanez. And that's just where it became excessive to me. Yes, like, it's obviously clear and understandable that this whole ordeal with Tory Lanez was very traumatic, and I feel very bad for her. And I understand that for many, this Tory Lane situation was the elephant in the room, or in this case of this piece of garbage, the tiny Canadian shrimp in the room. But as a music listener, I just don't care about Tory Lanez enough to hear her just repeat things we already heard on social media, or just throw pot shots at him all throughout the album. This album is called Good News, not old news about some 5'3 weirdo from Canada. It didn't add anything new to the story, so I was not interested to hear more from all of these different mentions of this situation on the album. But at the same time, you know, like, I get why it was there. So if we move now away from the, the lyrical subject matter focus and move towards just Meg's performance, from a delivery standpoint, Meg has always possessed pretty damn solid rapping skills and fundamentals. So her flow, especially at the beginning of this album, is in top form with the intro shots fired, but then also the very solid circles that had a nice Jasmine Sullivan sample, and on Cry Baby with DaBaby, which was a very zany track with pretty funny sexual references, and she had a really, really strong flow on that song as well. Uh, so it started off relatively good when she stuck to that rap, trap, rap lane. But when she ventured outside of it, this album just really started to fall apart. The track Intercourse around the middle part of this album was just another boring, airy dancehall track that seems to keep appearing on mainstream rap albums these days. And I don't know if it's fair to honestly blame this man or this god of the sixth persuasion, but I blame Drake. I blame Drake for this incessantly consistent trend of rappers and R&B artists with no affiliation at all or connection to dancehall deciding to make their own watered-down dancehall light tracks that almost always sound like completely terrible. So I blame Drake for this song. But then we go on to Don't Rock Me to Sleep, which is in the running for easily the worst song of the year, and at the very least, worst hook of the year. It, from this song, it's very clear. Her team tried to put her in that pop rap or just almost fully pop Nicki Minaj spaceships bag on tracks like this, where she sang over this god-awful pop R&B beat with synths that would have sound dated in 2011. I want Meg in the dirty trap rap southern hip-hop lane, and not any of these unnecessary detours that we see many times on this album. And admittedly, this may only feel unnecessary for me though, because as a straight brown dude who is clearly not the target audience of her music, 
I can understand if maybe her main fan base wants something different. But still, these moments of dancehall and ultra pop cheesiness bring up a more alarming point, which is that Meg's team of management and producers need to desperately steer her away from this early 2010s Nicki Minaj Barbie Princess era lane that she seems to be leaning into on some of these songs on Good News. What made Meg interesting, even to listeners like myself who definitely don't identify with a lot of the subject matter at hand, was her authenticity and her relatability. She came off as a girl that you could meet in your regular day-to-day, who had a fun-loving personality that made her a superstar, but not someone who was necessarily untouchable, like the queen that Nicki Minaj portrayed herself in that persona around the 2010s. But you know, outside of these very significant gripes, Meg still at the end of the day, like I mentioned earlier, possesses a fundamentally solid rapping ability and charisma that makes much of this album certainly passable. The track Go Crazy is a very catchy tune, I do enjoy the beat quite a bit, and it has some really nice expensive samples worked in throughout this production, and Big Sean comes on the track and drops another very solid feature in 2020, he's absolutely been killing it this year. The Savage remix, which many of us have already heard by now with Beyonce, it's a good song, it's a nice, it's a nice catchy track, but overall, that personality and infectious energy that we saw glimpses of on her previous work are few and far between on Good News. You know, Meg has more raw talent than her contemporaries like a Cardi B, for example, but unfortunately did not create even close to a better album than Cardi, because the production quality and songwriting on her 2018 album Invasion of Privacy were simply miles better than this. On Good News, Meg had the opportunity to make you get to know the girl behind the thirst traps, behind the twerking ass, or technically speaking, I guess it would be getting to know what's in front of the ass, but, but you get the point. In many ways, Meg's social media presence and interactions with fans over the past couple years allows you to get to know her more as a person than Good News ever did, and, and that's a shame. I was really hoping to get to know her through the music. Meg the Stallion clearly still has a lot of work to do to become a fully-fledged, complete artist, and I just hope her team is equipped to make the necessary improvements to have her flourish in the future. Because she's popping at the moment, but popularity that isn't founded upon an act's primary output, which for Meg is music, is a dangerous game to play. I hope she's still given the chance to redeem herself with a strong showing in her next project before the limelight leaves her for good. So to conclude here, I think this album is very, very mediocre and is just barely passable, although it has some pretty decent moments here and there. So I give this album, Good News by Meg Thee Stallion, a 5.4 on 10. This is definitely not an album that's, in my opinion, worth checking out unless you are a diehard Meg Thee Stallion fan or if you are just really into some music where you can just put on in the background and do some ratchet shit too, because otherwise there's nothing really to grab onto here 
when it comes to any sort of introspection, really high quality lyricism, or even catchy songs. Now I want to move to discussing experimental music through this review of the new, very experimental album by the group Small Bills, Don't Play It Straight, which was created by rapper-producer Elucid and The Lasso on the production on this album. Elucid is a New York rapper who defies the usual conventional traits you'd attribute to a New York artist, as he is very experimental. He's a member of the duo of Arm & Hammer with Billy Woods that is critically acclaimed and just released a really great project earlier this year in Shrines. But Elucid also has a very good solo catalog as well, and is a dope producer in his own right, sometimes referred to even as the sound terrorist. The Lasso is the experimental producer who produces this album, who is an artist that I've, I've been following for the past few years, but admittedly, I've never really connected with any of his work. It was definitely experimental, but I found it just lacked some, some it factor, some grooming, some songwriting to make the music stick with me. But now they've joined forces together, two very experimental artists that created, as you'd expect, an album that pushes the envelope artistically and defies all genre barriers. So before getting into the album itself, let's take a minute to discuss what makes an experimental album good. Well, for me, it comes down to two key elements that obviously the creator of the music is responsible for, but also what the listener of the music is responsible for. So let me explain this. So first off, the creator's contribution is more clear. They are responsible for the choice of sounds, the degree in which the album balances pushing the envelope uh, musically while also maintaining enough structure and elements of musicality that allows the listener to actually connect with the music. But the listener's contribution, on the other hand, is in the fact that they are required to suspend disbelief. This concept is much like when you watch an episode of Black Mirror, where it's just a thing in this Black Mirror universe where people have devices under their ear that allows them to replay all of their recorded memories in their head. And so if you don't accept this reality, then the ensuing fallout and very real drama that stems from this technology being in existence, the ensuing distrust and jealousy between the main characters in the episode wouldn't hit you at all because you would think, well, hey, the premise of these devices being available isn't even believable to begin with. So all of this drama, I don't care. It's not realistic. This would never happen. Similarly, with this Small Bills album, you need to stop fighting the weirdness as a listener and just accept how odd and strange the combination of jazz, funk, hip-hop, and electronics are mixed together on this album to really start connecting with it. Otherwise, it'll just sound like a giant mess. So with that in mind, how did I find Don't Play It Straight? Well, on first couple listens, I was guilty of not really giving in to that suspension of disbelief because it was really off-putting. I was just not in the headspace, I guess, to accept these sounds all mixed together on one album. But after the dust settled, and when I was finally able to buy into this dense, 
chaotic and very challenging album that mixed sounds in a way, in a combination that I was just not familiar with, the album began to sound way better. It finally started to click. And that's the beauty of experimental music like this. Once it clicks, it's just so rewarding. So I wanted to lead with this discussion about experimental music in general, because it's very important to recognize the fact that if you are not willing to put in the time or come into this album with an open mind, you aren't likely going to like it. And again, that's okay. You, you don't need to listen to anything. But if you do want to find potentially a great album here with Don't Play It Straight, what you have to do as a listener is give in. Listen to this album with an open mind. Accept what it's giving to you and throwing into your face musically. And see what you think. And for me, I thought Small Bill's did a pretty damn good job on their end to making an album that had enough musicality that allowed me to connect myself with and was written in a way that was catchy enough, ear-grabbing enough to draw me in. The album starts off very, very strong with one of the best songs on the album with Safe House. And it has this really groovy beat, really nice bass in this track but the horns are what did it for me the horns all throughout this song it's so energetic it's so frantic and elucid really kills it lyrically here he fits so so well in these chaotic instrumentals throughout this album and this song also features a really consistent strong point of this album which is just this these this percussion that's so intricate that features all these nice little little finger snaps, tambourines. It, it just is all throughout this album incredibly engaging. The next couple tracks also follow suit very well with the second track that features Billy Woods, which just goes on further into a lot of the common lyrical themes on this album, which are very much about this dystopian society we actually live in reality with some embellishments in the lyrics to kind of make that feeling be even more palpable. Uh, a lot of talk about anti-racism and just being a black person in America, which at this point is almost a crime in itself, given all the things that are happening in that country. Billy Woods comes in and does Billy Woods things, which is just drop another fantastic esoteric verse. Their chemistry with Lucid and Billy Woods is very strong. And then the next track, uh, track three, which features Kayana, just another another example of this really interesting, engaging percussion in the album, and also highlights the way drums are used on Don't Play It Straight, which is a lot of times after a lot of musical embellishments that are very noisy and challenging, this album tends to kind of bring you back to something more concrete and familiar with very hip-hop-like drum beats and drum patterns that go very, very hard. I love the, the way they're mixed. I love how hard-hitting they are. And on this track, it just really starts off this album on a really good foot. But then next, we get to the middle section of this album that does highlight some of the faults and missteps on Don't Play It Straight. This was a part of the album that featured a lot of risk-taking, even for this album, that I found hampered the momentum from a musical standpoint, which was 
built off of a very futuristic jazz funk sound from the previous tracks. These faults were particularly prominent on the sloppy, auto-tuned beginning of the Master's Clock is X that was just not pleasing. I, I thought over time, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I needed to come with an open mind, but it just still sounds really kind of just, just not pleasing to my ears. Um, and then it also features more of these hooks that aren't terrible. Over time, they grew on me, but there's tracks like Here Be Dragons with Kayana again that just don't really grab me. They are a little too abrasive for my liking. Maybe others who listen to this who are even more interested in abrasive music may, may think differently, but it was just kind of like okay hooks that were littered throughout this middle section. And it also had this kind of like strange like cyberpunk freak out almost uh, on track four that over time was like okay again, but definitely not to the level of the previous three tracks. So although that middle section was a bit spotty, it did have the track E.T. Diamond with Concept Jackson, which was definitely one of the best tracks and highlighted another really dope quality of this album, which is that all of these beats are, are really constantly in evolution with so many different mini or complete beat changes and transformations that usually all come off very well on that track E.T. Diamond. At the end of it, it really transforms into this pretty hard-hitting, uh, drum-heavy beat where Elucid kind of destroys that last back half of that track. But the album really starts to pick up steam and get back on its two feet on track eight on Hush Harbor. I think, again, the use of drums here really ground the album, kind of allows me as the listener to kind of regain my footing. By no means is this conventional hip-hop. There's still so many different kinds of sound effects, weird synths and electronics put, put out throughout this song. But I think from here on, the album really continues on a strong footing for the rest of the project. And throughout these last songs, it's by no means only rap that we're getting in terms of the, the vocal stylings. Elucid, along with these very prominent guest features, we have Kayana or Kayana, who's on this album five times. We have Fielded, another vocalist on this album twice. And then finally, we have Moore Mother, who's on the second last track, that give this album a very nice ethereal quality to it. As their vocal stylings are all relatively light and haunting, so it adds a really nice atmosphere to this album. The strengths of Don't Play It Straight are keenly found in the lyricism that is very esoteric but very interesting and deep and poetic as you get more and more into the album after repeated spins. And it offers a lot of interesting perspectives and commentary on today's society. But then from a musical standpoint, I think the best thing this album has going for it is the way that the lasso on production molded conventional hip-hop rhythms but bolstered it with really jazzy, funky bass licks, 
wrapping it around these warped electronics and atmospheric synths with percussion that is incredibly intricate with some nice horns as well tastefully peppered throughout these instrumentals. So the musical density and overall abstract nature of Elucid's performance may make it hard to get into this album at first. And if it wasn't for some risk made during the middle portion of this album that could have, in my opinion, used some more grooming and some rework, this would make it into my top 10 to 15 albums of the year. So my verdict for this album is a 7.5 on 10. Fans of experimental music who like their music as poetic and genre-bending as possible, this album is absolutely for you. You will eat this shit up. And for fans of more conventional music, but are open to a more abstract twist, like maybe an Aesop Rocks kind of music, I think you should definitely still give this a try. And finally, for those who really just like more traditional hip-hop, this may not be for you, but like I always say with music, there's literally nothing to lose by giving this album a spin with an open mind. You may be put on to an entirely new world of music that you've never existed. So I say check it out. And now finally, I'm going to talk about the recent 2021 Grammy nominations that were announced just this past week focusing primarily on the rap categories as well as the very often associated with rap category R&B nominations as well. So I'll give my assessment on who I think will win in reality as well as who I think should win if it was my my preference here and then finally I'll talk about kind of the Grammys in general and, and why I just find it so outdated of a concept at this point. So starting with the first category here, Best Rap Performance, we have Deep Reverence by Big Sean and Nipsey Hussle, Bop by DaBaby, Jack Harlow's What's Poppin', The Bigger Picture by Lil Baby, Savage by Meg Thee Stallion, and Beyonce, and then Dior by Pop Smoke. So if this was me choosing, my clear winner here would be Deep Reverence by Big Sean. I think that was easily one of the best songs off of Detroit 2. And I think overall, Sean and Nipsey delivered very, very good rap performances here, especially from a lyrical standpoint. The Bigger Picture was a nice political track from a traditionally trap artist in, in Lil Baby that I thought was pretty good. Savage was, was catchy. And then the other tracks, like I just didn't care for them that much. So that would be my preference. But who I actually think will win I say this is probably going to go to Savage. That was the biggest record. When we're talking about Grammys here, we have to be clear that a lot of this is a popularity contest mixed in with, I guess, supposedly critical acclaim, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second when we talk about R&B. But I would think that goes to Savage. Next, we move to Best Melodic Rap Performance, and we have Rockstar's Baby featuring Roddy Rich, Laugh Now, Cry Later by Drake and Lil Durk, Lockdown by Anderson Pack, The Box by Roddy Rich again, and then Highest in the Room by Travis Scott. So my preference, it would be Lockdown by Anderson Pack. I think that album, I think that song, sorry, is is fantastic. I think the beat's really groovy, and it it overall just like was really nice and fitting with the times uh, during the pandemic. It was very relevant and relatable. That uh, touched on 
the Black Lives Matter protests that were happening during this time as well. My second choice would be Laugh Now, Cry Later. I think that I, that song was actually pretty damn catchy and it has stayed steadily in rotation from time to time with me. Who I think will actually win this win this uh, award, I think it'll go to Roddy Rich, The Box. Because although Drake's Drake, and that song was definitely big, The Box was even bigger, and I think they're going to give it to him just off the sheer popularity. Next, we go to Best Rap Song. We have The Bigger Picture by uh, Lil Baby again, but again, this this award is technically to the writers of this of the song so that does go to little baby but also the associated co-writers as well we have the box by roddy rich we have laugh now cry later we have rockstar we have savage so out of these i think again it goes to the box for the exact same reasons that i gave for the best rap melodic performance and then finally we have best rap album so the big the big rap award here we have black habits by d smoke Alfredo by Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist, A Written Testimony by J Electronica, King's Disease by Nas, and The Allegory, Royce to 5-9. I would certainly pick Alfredo, with a close second being A Written Testimony. I thought both those albums were fantastic. But who I think will actually get this award, this one is really tough, because Nas is the biggest name but he's not someone that the Grammys have traditionally actually given their respect to. He's not won a Grammy for any of his previous rap albums, including his obvious classics like Illmatic. I think Freddie Gibbs is getting a lot of acclaim, but he's not really a household name to the level of Nas is. And then Jay Electronica, although that technically had Jay-Z all over it, who's definitely very well known, it's definitely not a mainstream act as well. I think this will go to Nas's King Disease. I think they're going to try to right their wrongs of the past and finally give him a Best Rap Album Grammy. So what do I think about these nominations overall? I think at the end of the day, all these artists making noise about how some of these nominations are bullshit, I definitely agree with them. Because I think getting an award from some random musical aficionados based on a criteria that is a mix of impact which likely just turns into being popularity and critical acclaim from people on this committee such as the grammys just makes no sense because this is a committee of again musical aficionados that have for decades now shown they don't have a strong understanding of rap and its culture i just don't understand the validity or importance of such an award but then the second reason why i just think this is so ridiculous at this point is that why do we have this grammy awards that are based off such flimsy completely nonsensical criteria and why i say this is i'll bring up now the r&b nominations here and discuss the very very notable omission which is that of the weekend the weekend dropped after hours which was in my opinion a very great album i thought it was a really dope album but most importantly again given what i assumed and what many people assumed the criteria of the grammys are which is an album that made an impact on the music culture 
that was therefore needing to be relatively mainstream in popularity and had a certain level of critical acclaim, well, that describes After Hours perfectly. It was widely received as one of his best albums yet and sold amazingly, had huge singles like Blinding Lights. I, I just don't understand how a Grammy award ceremony does not involve The weekend in 2020. It just makes absolutely no sense. And there are so many examples of this, and the one I'll pick is still, in my opinion, even more egregious than The weekend's omission here, which was of Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in 2011. This album wasn't even nominated for Best Album. And before you may have your opinions of Kanye, you may have your opinions of that album and say, you know, well, it wasn't that good, whatever. Critically speaking, this is critically speaking. This has a 94 rating on Metacritic, which is an aggregator of music reviews by professional publications. That is one of the best ratings ever given to any album in history. This is this is just facts. So an album that is historically critically acclaimed, the only other element I would think is mainstream appeal, and it's Kanye West. That album was so, so talked about as it was re the return to rapping for Kanye West. It was following the VMA incident. In the US, it sold almost 500,000 in the first week. It was critically acclaimed and was highly commercially successful and made a huge impact on all critic best albums of the decade and of that year. How that album is not even nominated as a best album of the year just shows that the Grammys are fucking bullshit. There's no reason for that omission. There's no reason for the after hours being omitted. And overall, I agree with artists like Drake who, who say, like, we need to replace the Grammys with something better, something that's for the artist, by the artist. I 100% I, I agree. I think in general, these award ceremonies are just antiquated events that honestly just serve as the uppity, very heavily white, snobby music critic establishment opportunity to put their stamp on music culture. And they just consistently show they have no understanding for genres that are primarily run and fueled by black musicians. These snobby establishment music critics don't have a grip on the culture. They don't have a pulse of it. So why, as fans, are we letting them have so much power? I really do think that there needs to be some solidarity amongst the musicians as well as the fans to not accept this anymore and don't tune into the Grammys and don't give them any kind of money or publicity because at this point, it's just a joke. There are just too many instances of completely comically stupid and insulting award results like famously good kid mad city losing to macklemore's the heist there's just too many other instances of this to count fuck the grammys let's dispose of them for good so this concludes today's episode of the rap music plug podcast presented by qlc tv i hope this helped you understand what music to check out or stay away from and now that i've spoken it's your turn to make your voice heard so let's keep in touch 
follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rovew, R-O-H-V-I-E-W, to connect with me on a personal level, where you'll be able to interact with my thoughts and perspectives on music, surely, but also on politics and sports as well. For exclusive content and updates related to the show, follow the Rap Music Plug podcast on Facebook. And lastly, I've started a TikTok. Uh, But don't worry, there will be no dancing, I assure you. Instead, I intend to give you some fun, bite-sized micro-album and song reviews, as well as some other miscellaneous perspectives on music as well. You can find me by searching the Rap Music Plug on TikTok. You can find all of this information along with exclusive playlists created by myself by clicking the link that's in the episode's notes. So that's all for today. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.